I never do it with things that matter, though, like, like the Bible. I wish I would, though. That's all. Like, I was sitting there looking at stuff. I was like, I, was like, I know what Step Pyramid is talking about. Yeah. And it was the Imhotep, who was like the royal vizier for the pharaohs or whatever. And he, his pyramid was a step pyramid. Okay. This is Early, before yeah. the Great Pyramids, yeah. supposedly. Right. All right, y'all. Let's go ahead on this first one, I mean. This morning we're going to look at eternal hope. When we live in a world that is so dark and there's so much despair, it almost seems as though it's hopeless. But we actually have an eternal hope. We have a hope that is secure. We have a hope that is sure. And we have a hope that is eternal. And we're going to look in Titus chapter 3. And we'll read here in a few minutes. But in Titus chapter 3, we're going to go verse by verse and look at really the, the, the plan here that God has for his church once we are believers. Uh, if you are new to us, there's a few things I think you ought to know about us. Um, one of those is we actually believe the Bible to be absolutely true. Um, we believe in a literal creation where God spoke everything in just a matter of six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Uh, we believe in the fall of man, um, and we believe that Christ began his work before the foundation of the world. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is the only way to salvation. And you say, why would you share that? Well, because a lot of churches would tell you whatever you think that means is what it'll mean to you. Whatever, however that speaks to you. Well, if it doesn't add up to the rest of the scripture, it doesn't matter what you think it says. We've got to go with what the Bible actually says. And sometimes there are some hard truths there, um, but it is what it is. So I want us this morning to look at our eternal hope in Titus chapter 3, beginning with verses 1 through 11. Uh, let's stand together. I know we stand a lot. Um, and if you ever get too tired to stand there in the singing, don't worry about it. You sit down and um, we get it. We understand. We want you to be able to make it through the rest of the service. And hopefully you won't fall asleep while I'm preaching. So... That's kind of important. Titus chapter 3 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we were made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is a trustworthy and or this statement is trustworthy, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently 
so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Some of you wonder why you have such a horrible life with the people you keep in your life. It's because you keep going back. The Bible's pretty clear there comes a point where enough's enough. Knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. Father, we pray this morning for wisdom. We pray for understanding, Lord. We pray for the ability to see that because of your great grace, the church should be moved to serve those around her. And that our daily activities should be about others. Allowing others to see the goodness and the grace of God through our life. Learning to get along with people. Listening to the authority that is over us. God, teach us what this means today. And we praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The very first thing I want us to look at this morning is found in verse 1. And we're very clear here. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. We're to show respect to authority. I was talking to our youth this morning and I told them that whenever I became a a, a freshman, when I was in ninth grade, I was ready to move out because I knew more than my parents did. And I w- I've fought that for four years until I finally moved out and then I wanted to come home, right? Um, there was this idea that I didn't want to listen to authority. I didn't like authority. But yet God has put people over us. God has allowed people to be put over us and we are to listen to them. We're subject to the rulers and we're to be obedient to what they have called us to do as long as it is in line with Scripture, If we're asked to go outside of what the Bible says, then there comes a point where the Christian has to say, sorry, but I'm not following that. I'm not going to do that. But our job here is to look at authority, to look at people that are over us, and to show them respect and to honor them as being over us. And that we're to be ready for every good deed. Every chance we have to make those who are over us look good, we strive to do that. So that means that even if you don't like your boss, but your boss gives you a job to do, guess what? You're to do it to the best of your ability. And your ultimate goal is to make your boss look good. Your job, part of what you do, is to allow others who are above you to realize that you honor them because you honor God above all things. You and I are to be a are an example of Christ, even to those who are in authority over us, who may not deserve our kindness. Yet the Bible says that we're to be kind. And folks, I don't know about you, but right now there's a lot of struggle with leadership in our country. So what can I do to honor that man? What can I do to honor those that are over us? Folks, you pray for them. You seek God on their behalf. 
You pray for salvation. You pray for their eyes to be open to the truth, for the blindness to be gone, and, and for them to understand how desperate they are for God. How do I do that? By honoring them, by doing the things that I have been asked that are in line with Scripture. So a lot of you, you have a boss that maybe you don't care for. Well, guess what? We're going to look at chapter 2, I mean, verse 2 here. Verse 2 says, To slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. So we've gone from showing respect in verse 1 to now looking at number 2, and we're to be our brother's keeper. We are to look out for our brother. We're to look out for one another. We're not to slander. We're not to be contentious. We're to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. If you notice, Paul starts out with the do not do, and then he says, but here's what you should do. One, don't slander. If you have someone that is over you and you don't like them and everybody's talking about them, the one thing you are to do is you are to show respect for that person. We don't join in the conversation. We don't join in and and belittle those who are over us or others around us. We're to slander no one. We're not to be contentious. But yet, then he goes on to say, instead, be gentle. Showing every consideration for all people. Reminding those who are so angry that they themselves probably have people that don't much care for them. We're to allow people to understand that no matter how this person is to me, no matter what they've done to me, I will still honor them because that is my job as a believer. I'm still going to pray for them. I'm going to show respect to them. You say, well, why? Why should I do that? Well, there's a reminder here in verse 3. For we want, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Think about this. We are to sanctify. We have to get out of that lifestyle. We are getting away from that. God is doing a work and we are joining him by leaving those things in the past. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Folks, when you got saved, there are certain things that you were saying to God, I want to get rid of these things. I need to be saved from these things. And here's the list of things that were that are mentioned here that we need to be saved from. And that's why he says that the former things, you too once were foolish. When you became a Christian, you left those things. You left foolishness and disobedience and deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Now, teenagers, listen to me, and young children, listen to me. Once you get saved, what you do with your parents is you recognize, verse 1, God has put them over you. Right? They're your authority. So you're to honor them. Second, when your brother or sister speaks ill of your parents, you're to say, but wait, they're our parents. That's verse two. Verse three, we're to look at ourselves and say, I no longer want to be disobedient. I no longer want to deceive my parents. I no longer want to be enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Instead, I desire to live a life that's different than everybody else in my life, in my generation. Verse 3 is very clear. For we too once, once, we used to live in foolishness, disobedience. We once were deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. 
spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. One of the things that always bothers me is when I hear Christians say, I hate so-and-so. How can you hate somebody and yet be a believer? How can we have such a hatred and anger towards people when one of the commandments that we have as a believer is to love others as we love what? To treat others as we would, right? So you get it. Here's our problem. A lot of us weren't willing to be saved from everything. Folks, you're either saved from everything or you're saved from nothing. God either deals with our heart fully or he doesn't deal with our heart at all. Verse 4 says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Aren't you thankful for that, by the way? Because none of us are deserving of the love of God. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but accordance with his mercy by the washing of the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God did not save us because we're good people. As a matter of fact, Isaiah tells us that our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. How did he do this? By making Christ the sacrifice for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God did a work in you not because of your goodness but because of his mercy. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen to verse 7 really good. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm not just somebody who is a believer. I'm not just a church member. I am an heir. I belong to the family of God. I am going to receive an inheritance that cannot be taken away, that will not rust, that will not be uh, destroyed. Instead, when I make it to heaven by the grace of God and the mercy of God, I will enter into a place that is absolutely perfect and will never, ever, ever have a blemish. Larson wrote, Paul told us God's purpose in providing salvation so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. He goes on to say, some people claim that justification means just as if I'd never sinned. He said, that may be cute or clever, but it does not do salvation justice. Actually, salvation is a legal term describing a guilty person before the bar who is then pronounced blameless by the judge. This does not mean that the individual has been found guiltless. Instead, it means that the person has been released from guilt, his offense paid for, all of this by God's grace apart from human merit. This is what Christ did for us in salvation. He found guilty people and he said, I will put your charge on my son. I 
I will put your penalty on my son. Therefore, we have been released from guilt because Jesus paid it all. And if he paid it all, all to him, what? I owe. Verse number eight says, this statement is trustworthy and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Now remember, Christ did not say, or God did not save us because of our good deeds, but because we have been saved, that should lead us then to what? Good deeds. Right? Salvation leads to good works. Being saved, all of a sudden now I have a new motivation in life. One motivation is to honor those that God has put over me. Another motivation is to leave that old lifestyle that I used to live, not to slander, not to be contentious, but to be gentle and showing every consideration for all people. These are the things that God has told me I should do. These are the good works. And my good work should be upon all mankind, including my enemy. Right? And I know that none of you in this room have anybody that you would consider your enemy because y'all are all such great people without any issues whatsoever. I'm sure that there are a few of us who probably have people that don't care for us. And those very people that don't care for you, the Bible says that you are to honor them, love them, lead them to Christ. We're to do good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. So here's a question I have for you. We've, things have been crazy the past year and a half, coming up on two years in March. And have you used this time as an opportunity for you to just do nothing? And I get it. There are people who are scared to death of COVID and it's a rough thing. It, it's weird, isn't it? Some people are touched in a, in, in barely at all. You don't even know that they're sick. And then there's others who are in the hospital for weeks and others who lost their life due to the fact that they had a complication from COVID and they, and they lost their life. But folks, when the opportunity has been given to you, have you used it for good? Have you had the opportunity to keep working for others? Have you had the opportunity to to volunteer yourself to go and help those who are afraid to get out of the house? The Bible says that we are to be careful to engage in good things. And a lot of people in the last year and a half have just flat out shut the door. They've gone off in their own little world. And can I tell you, if you belong to a church that's like that, you need to leave that church. Because the Bible is very clear. We have been given opportunity to serve and to minister. And now, if ever there's been a time in our life, now is that time. People are desperate to be ministered to. I've said this. A number of the funerals that I have done, I believe with all my heart. People died. And and God knew they were going to die this way. I'm not, God's not sitting on the throne going, oh, I don't know what happened. But they died from pure loneliness in a nursing home. 
Pure loneliness. If you know of an older person at home, call them, check on them. See how they're doing. Take them some groceries. Well, they won't let me in the door. Don't worry about it. It's not about you. It's about serving those around you. It's about giving to those who are in need. We have an opportunity. The church, this, the church right now should, should understand that the, the harvest is ready and, and yet the workers are what? Few. And God is like, what an opportunity. What a time to be ministers, to do good deeds. What have you done? In the past 18 months, what proof do you have that you belong to the Lord? There should be some things that are very obvious to us. Verse 9 says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and dispute about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Satan would love for us to just argue with one another, to come in and really just have issues with, with different things. And, 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 you know, there's people in here that believe certain ways and others believe in another way. But what we focus on in this church is that Christ paid it all. That's what matters. Other churches want to fight about little things, different things here and there. He especially was talking here in Titus. He was especially talking to those that were legalists, those that, that believed in the law, the law, the law. You got to do X, Y, and Z. And Paul often told us what to do, but he would always tell us why we needed to do it. And just like we've had, we have here in Titus. But it's very clear that we have to be mindful that there are going to be people who are wanting to cause issues within the church. I love the fact that there are some of you that, that when you came to this church, the one thing you said that you loved about it was that we don't fight and argue. Why would you fight and argue? Like, what's the purpose of that, right? Why would you want to get mad and get angry over stupid st- I said that word. And I'm not supposed to say that word with kids in the room. Over really dumb stuff. Um, why in the world do we get so wrapped up in things that don't matter? It's because... We forget our purpose, and Satan moves in and gets us blinded to what is the real issue within the church. And that real issue is that if we're born again, then we should be out and about. If we're born again, we should be out and about. We should be serving and doing and helping. Verse 10 says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. There are people that I love, absolutely love. But I can't do things with them. Because you never, ever, ever can find anything good in their life. Y'all have heard me describe like this. There are people that I know that would get angry if they won a million dollars and you paid it to them in one dollar bills. Right? Listen, if you want to pay me in $1 bills, I, if you want to pay me in pennies, I will take it. I will find a bank that will take my money, right? 
There are some people who just aren't, they're just, they're divisive. No matter what you do, they always got to find something wrong. They've always got to reject the idea and, and they've got a better idea. The Bible's very clear. You don't need those type of people. And, 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 and if that's you today, repent. And you'll know it's you because you can't be happy about anything. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Yeah, you try, you try to help. But they know better than the one trying to help them. And this is the warning and this is the final thing. Knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. Angry people, can I tell you what's going to happen to them eventually? Even if they're believers, angry people eventually will bring judgment upon themselves. And one of those judgments is this, you'll have no friends, you'll be all alone. You literally will be all alone. And the reason you're going to be all alone is because God's going to make sure you understand what it is to be all alone. Until you finally cry out to God. There are so many things that we can unpack here in this chapter. In just these first 11 verses. But I want you to walk away from here knowing this. We have to grow up and be wise. We have to grow up and be wise. We have to be people who look at our situation, even if we have somebody that we don't like that God has put in our life, and especially if they are in authority over us, we are to respect them and honor them. Young people, one thing you have to get through your head is that as long as you live in the house, you live under the rule of your parents. And church, if you're really going to be the church, then you ought to be out and about, not hiding, not afraid, but engaging a lost world who is ripe for the gospel. We can live in scary times and we can realize that our eternal hope knows what we're going through right now and he has provided a way of salvation. And the vessel that he wants to use to get the gospel out is his church. Let's be the church. Let's do good things. Because our world is desperate for somebody to do something good. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. And Father, we thank you that you have given us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, for all who believe. But Father, it's not just head knowledge. It is, it is heart knowledge. It's recognizing And we can only do this by the power of of, of your Holy Spirit. This isn't some decision that we just all of a sudden make, God. We have to have that conviction that uh, salvation comes from you. Lord, what it means is that we recognize that we are sinners and that we have no good deeds worthy of salvation. But instead, even though we were guilty, you put our guilt upon your son. 
You put our shame upon your son, our penalty, our cross. And so what did he do with all of that? He took it. And he allowed them to beat him. He allowed them to put the crown of thorns upon his head. He allowed them to lead him to Calvary. He allowed them to mock him. And then he gave up his life. But then he did something amazing. He went to a tomb, a borrowed tomb, because he wanted to show the world that the only way to the Father is through the Son. And he rose again. And he said, all that will believe, all that will believe in who I am and will understand that they are nothing without me, they too will rise again. Lord, I look forward to the day that you return. But if I'm in the ground when you return, I'm not worried about it. This old broken down body will be made brand new. To never know sickness and pain and death again. Because you, Father, are our eternal hope through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that's never experienced that, that they will come today saying, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will never be good enough. So I'll put my faith in Christ. And it's in his name.